Hello, just a heads up, this was recorded before the current restrictions related to coronavirus were in place, and I hope you enjoy listening. Hello, dear listeners. We have a good friend with us today. Uh, So Gabriella is also here, but Jess (laughs) is here, and we would like to talk to you about the wherewithal of being an expat, because, yes, people who come from one country but then move to another, it raises some very interesting questions about how one lives their life and we're all expats so I come from the UK originally and uh, have since become German living here in Hamburg and Gabriella is originally Lithuanian. Jess, I don't know. Um, It's probably something that you should introduce yourself a little bit later but um, we have some questions and I pass over now to Gabriella to ask those questions. Okay, so I think that uh, what we can start with is just talking about basically what brings us here, telling a bit of our story. So, Jess, maybe you could start. Okay, Um, so I'm actually half French, half British. Mm -hmm. But I would say that I'm a French expat in Germany. So, I mean, my education was half French, half British, but I grew up in France most of my life. So I do still consider myself more as a French expat more than a British one. And uh, yeah, I am here today to talk about that and our experiences in living in this wonderful new country that we all like, which is Germany, which is our new so little... So you, li- you like it here? Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose so. I've been here for six years, so I guess that's already an indication. And yes. uh, yeah, I think we all have that in common that we... That's a good point. We have a new, a new home. Mm-hmm. We found a new home in a different country. I've, I've been here the longest of all of you, I guess. Mm. Uh, so I've been here over 10 years in total. Uh, Gabriella, how long have you been? You're, you're, the, you're, you're the baby of the group. Yeah, two and mm-hmm. a little bit. And uh, Jessica, just so our listeners would know, uh, what was your initial motivation to come here? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's very, for me, Hamburg is a very kind of uh, dense story because I come from Toulouse, which is the south of, of France, southwest, exactly. And in Toulouse, we have the Airbus headquarters, which means that a lot of people uh, from Hamburg also, because there is also Airbus in Hamburg and from England, moved to Toulouse to basically, you know, work for the um, in in aeronautics in general. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I knew some people who already lived in Hamburg. My best friend was already here. And I finished my studies and I was wondering, okay, well, what, what am I going to do? Do I want to study something more or should I start working? And my kind of getaway from all that was, okay, I'll do an internship for six months somewhere and, and I'll figure the rest out later. And yeah, I landed an internship in Hamburg and uh, never left. So I, didn't, okay. I decided to not study further, obviously. <laughs> I'm still working for the same company I interned for six and a half years ago. So that's must that's be a good company. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we can't mention names because this episode is not sponsored. <laughs> not 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 yet. So the question. So so basically, to sum it up, you came to Hamburg specifically because there was a special connection to Toulouse, where you originally come from. Well, not because there was this special connection. I think it was just I've always lived my life, and I still do in in that sort of very flowy way and it happened back then that the flow brought me to Hamburg it wasn't something that I was you know craving for I never thought like 
I want to go and live in Germany or I want to live in Hamburg. It's just mm. life brought me here. It's a very str- it would be a, a strange dream of a child. You know, I want to grow up and, and live in Germany. Mm. Actually, that was kind of my dream. It was also kind of my dream too. Yeah. See? <laughs> you, you, you tell your story first. And... Well, so, okay. So if I go to the very, very roots, this is a bit embarrassing. But um, yeah, as a teenager, I was um, an emo kid. And I happened to like certain German bands. Oh, please tell me not Tokyo Hotel. Yeah, so that was Tokyo Hotel. So that was my initial interest in the language, I would say. That's I, how I, feel, I feel we should probably explain to our users who are not familiar with Tokyo Hotel how people bad are it is. I don't think... I, well, are the Lithuanians? Uh, what about our Honduran listener? Does he know uh, or she know uh, Tokyo Hotel? Please t- tell us. Definitely know. Tell, tell us what Tokyo Hotel is. Tokyo Hotel is a boy band uh, and that is uh, still active up to this day, but I think they had their peak when I was around 16, so sometime around eight years ago. Anyways, uh, so that was Young my. People. Yeah, that was my initial, initial, I guess, um, starting to really like the language and being interested in one day going to Germany. And even when I grew up and I was not as much of a fan of a Tokyo hotel anymore, I was still having certain interest in going to Germany just because I had so much uh, emotional association to it. And then just when I graduated uh, from university, one of my closest friends uh, was headhunted and got a job in Germany, in Hamburg, and she moved here. And I was like, yeah, okay, I will, I will come visit. So I came visit very, very fast, two weeks after she started uh, her her job here. And yeah, and it happened to be a period of my life with many change. So I uh, broke off a four years relationship and I graduated my, my studies, my bachelor's degree. I also quit a job that I really hated, one of those student jobs when you have to make calls and annoy people. Uh, and I was basically not really having any yeah, any commitments to my country. So I came here, I really liked it there. Uh, I was wrongly under the impression that the weather is very good because I came in summer and it was really sunny and really nice. You came to sunny Germany. Yep. Uh Um, And yeah, and I kind of made a spontaneous decision to just see where it goes, try to find a job for a few months until my basically savings run out. And if something Lithuania is one and a half uh, hours flight away, so I could always come back. I also happened to fall in love with my current boyfriend. Uh, here so that was also a motivation to come and then just one thing led to another I also found an internship that later evolved into a job that I'm still at that's it I have a very long history with Germany so um, it all started in 1990 that's 30 years ago now so the 1990 World Cup um, I was only four years old at the time, but I... I was not born? Yes, neither, actually. When, no, I was 91. So exactly, was neither born. of you were born, you know. In fact, probably most of our listeners weren't even born at this stage. Um, my mom probably was definitely born. I yes, certainly see, hope so. so that's one listener mm-hmm. already. Indeed, indeed, my dad listener. will also listen to that, so exactly. that's another listener. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> big, big up the people who were born before 1990. But yes, um, in 1990, uh, well, uh, there was a World Cup. It was in Italy, and... Um, I had already at that stage decided I wanted to annoy my father. And that is how I ended up supporting West Germany over England uh, in Italia 1990. And West Germany actually won. I then started um, watching uh, German television. As, as, as I grew up, uh, so I, I, um, I was interested in physics. I ended up studying physics. But um, 
I decided, I saw at Lidl, also a German uh, supermarket, that they had an offer for a satellite dish with an analog satellite receiver for like, you know, 30, 40 pounds. And I thought, okay, satellites, cool. So I, I set that up and the, the only, the only, well, there were several countries that I could watch television from. Um, I tried watching French television, apologies to the to French guests and French listeners, but um, it was just a bunch of admittedly very attractive people, well-dressed people, but just all sitting around a table talking French. That's what we still do. Exactly, precisely. And it was like, it was a little bit boring, but German TV had MTV and it had English programmes with German subtitles. And I just started watching MTV. Then I ended up at university. I went to Oxford, if anyone hasn't already heard me say that repeatedly. Yes, I know. Indeed. I've got to get it in there at least once an episode. And um, beyond the Americans, the largest uh, foreign group uh, at Oxford was was Germans. So I had had a group of Germans. Um, Okay, not all of them were Germans, but they were all at least from countries that had at one point been occupied by Germany. <laughs> and that was my logic for that. They really, the, the, the Norwegians and, and the Danes, they really hated that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I had my Germans and I ended up having a German girlfriend and she came from Hamburg. And I, after my uh, degree, I decided to give Germany a try. Although actually, the first time I came here to Hamburg, I didn't really enjoy it. I, I got a job, I, you know, I had my own flat and all that, but I didn't really, I, I felt like um, it wasn't really for me, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later when we talk about challenges and stuff, but um, I was annoyed by many things, and I actually went back to the UK, but then I realised I hated it more, <laughs> and, uh, and then sooner or later I got another job offer and took the opportunity to come back. So... I suppose. Oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. It's actually funny you say that the first time around you didn't like Hamburg because because my best friend was already in Hamburg. The first time I came, it was actually just for a visit, mm. like a year before I moved. And I only spent four days in Hamburg and I was really not impressed by the city at mm. all. I was just like, I don't understand why people would want to live here. <laughs> what do they think? Like, what? Do, you know, we did all the stuff. We went to Sternschanzer and we went yeah. to the Ripperbahn and, you know, and but I felt like everything was so strange because if you put it back into context it was destroyed about 80 percent i think during the second world war Mm -hmm. so everything is very much new like all the buildings are quite you know they're post-war buildings Mm -hmm. and they're very kind of made in this not bauhaus because that's not the right term but in this yeah no but more in the sense of like form follows the flow so like they Everything makes sense. Like streets are wide. You can have a lot of cars drive through those streets. And, you know, there's a lot of the, the, the way it, it is urbanly planned is very clever in a way. It's actually planned it. in contrast to many British exactly. cities, for example. And I come, you know, from Toulouse. It's a medieval city, which mm. is completely different. If you go to the city center, most streets, you know, you can't have two cars driving in, in the opposite yeah. direction at the same Even time. Even the tiny French cars. Yeah, even the t- well, <laughs> French cars are not that tiny. We're not talking about Fiat 500s. Okay, fine. Italians are worse. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. And the British with the Mini, hello. Um, but the Mini is much larger, and the Mini is German now, anyway. Yeah, so, it's true, yeah. It's true. But yeah, so the first time I came here, I just felt like 
just aesthetically and the reference to what a city was supposed to be like, I didn't like it at all. I was just really shocked that my friends were living here as well. I was like, what did they think about the city? So, yeah, I think it's it's not only Hamburg and I think that's also, you know, cities grow on you and places mm. that you move to grow on you. What actually keeps you here? Well, I think... I, it took me, and that's, I think, something which is very, it goes straight deep down into the expat um, theme, is that the first, I think, the first good five years of my life living here, which is just until a year ago, I spent my time thinking, I am going to leave this place at one stage, and I need to maintain the connection that I have with my home countries i say it plurally because obviously my dad lives in england and my mom lives in france so i always feel like i have this fallback possibility of moving back to the uk or moving back to france but it took me a really long time to just accept actually this is my country now mm -hmm. or my city more than country i feel like i probably wouldn't move to another german city I'm, i feel very like attached to hamburg mm -hmm. um but yeah, I think I spent so much time always, you know, trying to make the connection between both places. And that was so tiring for a long time because I was always trying to, every time I went home to try and make every, you know, everyone that I left feel like I hadn't really left because of this guilt of mm. liking yeah. to live somewhere, somewhere else far away from them, you know. And, and I think that's what keeps me here is just the fact that despite the guilt of, being far away from my family and the people, some of the people that I love, because I also have a lot of people that I love here, um, wanting to be here. And that's when I realized at one stage, well, actually, I am happy here and mm -hmm. I am comfortable living far away from the people that I love. And that's what keeps me here mentally, let's say now, if we're talking about more what keeps me here in Hamburg because of what it has to offer, I find that Hamburg is one of the safest places I've ever lived in. Mm -hmm. I find it to be a very, it's a very green city. There's a lot of water. Um, people are a bit more relaxed, a bit less stressed out. I would say that when I, where I come from in Toulouse, where people are a bit more feisty and a bit more Latin. A bit more shouty. A bit more shouty. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just feel like my, my life makes sense here in a way. Okay. So for me, it's, um, I, I suppose the thing that first kept me here were jobs um so i was able to get uh, some really good jobs here um i i have had opportunities here that i can't imagine having had back in the uk um but having stayed here having lived here i am just so satisfied um compared to any british city in which i've had experience um things just work there are trains that go regularly. Mm. Um, you can get, you can always get home. The city is, it's it's big enough to be cosmopolitan and cool and interesting, but it's also small enough to be manageable. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a human scale. Exactly. City. Yeah. Places like London or Berlin, it's just so. It, it seems a little bit anonymous. Whereas here, there's a bit of a, a village character to it, and I really like that. You know, the the fact that I. Okay, fine. I don't go out of my flat that often anymore mm. due to situations. But um, when I used to, 
invariably I'd always bump into somebody I knew mm. and I really like that hmm. uh, yeah I, I agree to, to some of the points you already made so for me also what was really nice and actually for me this is uh, maybe the opposite of what Jessica said uh, I actually really liked it from the first view that it's so new um, because uh, Lithuania so Vilnius where I come from it also has a very medieval uh, old town and it looks really really amazing and uh, at least for me it's still one of the most beautiful places in the world however the um, places where pe people actually live um, don't look like that we have a lot of this post-soviet uh, gray block buildings that really don't look that nice and for me even though the center i mean it's nice but for me it's not really breathtaking in hamburg but what i like here that you just i don't know go with the gps with a bike somewhere a few kilometers and it's just one nice place after the other so yeah. just like the areas where people live they're just so pretty that is something that i really do love about hamburg is that there is no real center okay mm. there is there's 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 a there's a lake in the, the middle of the city and there's a central train station and like some funny shops. enough that would be yeah. the actual center yeah. of the city yeah that's like, actually the that geographically is, that would be the like the center center of the city but it's not like uh it's not like london or even birmingham where you know you'd say okay if you wanted to do anything interesting you'd have to go into the center of the city and that's where all the interesting stuff is it's spread out over so many areas. There's Altona, there's the Reeperbahn, there's, uh, there's Eppendorf. There are so many different kind of like... Baalbek. Exactly, Baalbek, <laughs> yes, fine, whatever. I'm on the wrong side of the altar. Um But there are so many different sort of centres um, where there are interesting things to do that you wouldn't necessarily um, get to know in the first even year of mm. you living here. Mm. It allows you to sort of slowly but surely discover the city and by the time you've kind of done a first sweep of the city there's something new in the places that you started with yeah and uh, the other uh, part so um, yeah i also don't feel it that it's a multi-million uh, people city so basically mm. hamburg has around two million people and the whole lithuania so my country has only three million people so it's almost the same size uh, but uh, yeah, you don't usually, I mean, of course, at like maybe 6 p.m., not in Corona after work, uh, the, there are crowds. But generally, I don't really feel like it's such a metropolis. And I, I really like it, uh, as you also mentioned, like the parks, the, the water, that's all very nice. And but actually what I like the most is the mentality. Uh, so I also really agree with Jessica uh, that I feel very, very safe here. Um, and for me, it. I don't know, it just makes a lot of sense how German people, of course, not to generalize too much, but I could still tell a tendency that most of the people are rather rational. So at least um, at work, uh, for me, it was really new that when people are discussing some something, it's almost never just an opinion. Like people have some statistics or some, I don't know, they read books on it or, or I don't even know how to transmit it. But I feel that in Lithuania, that there's way more talking and uh, opinions just based that I just feel like it. And mm. here people actually reason and um, more pragmatic. Yeah, more pragmatic, they're more rational, there's more order, and I don't know, I really enjoy it. Uh, and I know that German people like to complain a little bit about the government, however, as an expat, for me it seems very, very well organized. Also, not to go too deep into this, but for example, corona measures, I think it's done way, way better than at least in my home country. But I just want to come back to the professional side, because I think that's also something that links us all to, to Germany, where I think 
at least for me, I know that I wouldn't be able to have the same position that I have now if I was in France within mm-hmm. for various reasons, not because in France, you know, you need to be better to get a job to a certain extent. I think it's not probably the opposite, but in France, they're so ac- academic and you need to have a master's to do this and you need to have a name of a school behind your application and you mm-hmm. need to have this kind of reference and, you know, it's... It, the way they hire people is so old, old school still in in France in a way. Although compared to the UK, I I consider that I would I would say that the Germans are quite old school. So for example, having a degree from Oxford has opened so many more doors here than would have done in the UK. In my opinion, at least. Yeah. So we're yeah. going in the same direction because yeah. I mean in France it, I find it more closed off as here in Germany where you come in and you will probably start with an internship. But if you mm. work hard, if you okay. work the hours and you, sh- you show that you can adapt to the German way of working, because it's it's also something to adapt to. I mean, if I was working in France, it would be a total different, you know, mm. working culture. Mm. And longer lunch breaks, longer lunch breaks, including sometimes a bit of wine. I remember the first week I started as an intern and we went for lunch. Uh, with my boss, for example, mm. and mm. for me, it just coming—I was like freshly coming from France. And okay. if you go out for a, a not even a business lunch, but if you go out for lunch with your colleagues, you will have a glass of wine. Not mm-hmm. even a glass of wine. I'm talking about like a. And you 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 ordered something alcoholic, and then everyone looked at you. Yeah, I ordered. Yeah, I ordered a glass of wine, and my boss just looked at me like, "What is she doing?" No, he was great. My first boss was amazing, so he didn't say anything. I think he really, he was really like, I hired a French. Uh-huh. woman <laughs> and this is what it looks like okay um and then every expat i'm pretty sure goes through certain challenges no matter the country uh such as uh, healthcare, language friendships dating and so on so maybe we could go a little bit into that uh so what were your experiences about these topics the language oh good god uh <laughs> german german is a german's a thing German is complicated. German is, uh, uh, it is a kind a mild form of torture. And I think mm. even German native speakers will understand that because there are actually very few German native speakers who speak German properly. Um, there are so many rules, but also more exceptions. And this does offer a quite high barrier for fluency. It, it, it takes a lot of effort for you to be able to feel comfortable to speak German in a social context. Well, you're also very, very privileged that your native language is English. That is true. That is true. So for me, I think <laughs> language is, is something that has always been on my mind because I'm half French, half British. So I You're bilingual with... to start with. Yes, you, have exactly. a, you, have a, you have a head start. Yeah, but it's not even about having a head start, but it's more I spent my whole life always getting the same questions from people which were always do you think in english or do you think in french do you dream in english or do you dream in french do you think you are the same person if you speak in french or if you speak in english Mm. those are actually interesting questions (laughs) yeah and i mean of course if you think about linguistics and semantics because sometimes you know words from one language to the other are transparent and they have you know they're pronounced the same but the semantics behind it is different Mm. so i always thought about that for so long i was like it's true when i'm when i'm 
when I'm English, when I speak in English, I'm a bit different than when I'm French and okay. And I, I it always troubles me. I love me. how you put it as when I'm English and when I'm French. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, because that's that's what people yeah. make me feel like. They were okay. just like, okay, so you, you're either one or the other. How do you're, you feel right now? Right, well... Well, right now I do. Well, I think that's the whole point of the, this podcast. Mm. Also, is and and then German comes into that. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, and it's also. I mean, I'm someone very social. I, I think I'm quite charming in the way that I speak, and I like charming people. And and I always had a complex at first because I was like, mm. I'm never gonna manage to do that in German. Mm. You know, like. I haven't. I studied German in in school, but I couldn't remember that much when I moved here, Same. and um, and I just kind of learned it by having a lot of German friends. So I'm actually the opposite to you because I know that I don't have the control over the conversation, and sometimes I do feel completely like zonked out by what is said <laughs> around me because I'm like, mm-hmm. it's going too far. I was with two colleagues this afternoon, and they were talking about training dogs, and. It's not something that I have a very wide vocabulary of, you know, in German about. So. You've, ne- you've never heard Germans giving orders before. Yes, yeah, so, well, yeah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the, of course there are moments where I have to, I, I feel more shy because I can't necessarily jump into the middle of the conversation and yes. give my point of view because my German isn't good enough. But mm-hmm. So it did make me discover new sides of my personality, like being shy, because I'm not a shy person. Yeah. Yes, dating isn't easy in German. It's really hard to be a bit more seductive in a language <laughs> that you don't fully master. No, you know? Ger- no, no. <laughs> German is not a sexy language. German is a wonderful language for many, many things. It's precise, it's scientific, but it is not sexy. I mean, I think that's debatable. Actually, I, think so. I find it sexy. Yeah, I think it's Geschlechtsverkehr. <laughs> yeah, okay, but I think, yeah. But you know, Jessica, actually, here, um, my, um, my experience is even more different than 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 uh, what you both said is because you said that basically you managed to learn german because of having german friends but for me it's actually i don't really have that many german friends that's the point that most of my friends are actually expats because i have no idea i'm german uh, Thomas, oh, yes. for me the passport is not what gives you nationality but uh, to be anyway. honest, if you're german you can't be on this podcast because it's exactly. expats podcast <laughs> so. i was an expat i was an expat until i got the passport but anyway sorry forgive me for interrupting yeah um yeah but i actually find it very hard to uh, find german german friends so it's okay one uh, one-on-one because then well you talk english but if there's a group basically i don't know two beers in and everybody speaks german mm. maybe just with me i don't know maybe i have I don't know, a social circle that doesn't like me. But no. uh, but it actually, as, I mean, by now I at least, so my German is not on the same level as, as uh, the other two. Um, so I do understand most of the conversation, but my speaking is really, really non-grammatical in a yeah, very bad way. Uh, so I can say a few things, but uh, not yet have a conversation. Um, and yeah, and I just don't really know how to actually blend in into a fully German group because they all speak German. Can I jump into that? Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like the first few years that I lived in Germany, also because I was shy and I was scared about, I was scared of just not speaking the language so well, so I never really interacted in German. But I literally now have friends that I've met from the beginning of my, you know, of, of, of my experience here. Yeah whom I used to speak English with, and now that I can speak some sort of German, they've completely blocked out the fact that I can speak English. They're just like, okay, now you've lived here long enough, you mm-hmm. know, we've given you, we've helped you at the beginning, but now like, 
and I don't think they they they're doing it consciously in the way that like now you have to speak German to us. But I think it's also their way of saying, you know, welcome to the group. This is interesting because I have had a, an opposite experience of that. So so, okay, this is particularly with my uh, with 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 girlfriends and, and, and okay, so other friends I have, um, they have told me, I got to know you speaking English. I can't bear to hear you speak German, even though I don't make that many mistakes. Mm. It's not a, you know, my German is not so bad, at least I hope not, that it would make people's ears bleed. Mm. But it's something that people sort of, some people sort of categorize you mm. and say, okay, you're, you're the English speaker and yeah. they will speak to me in English and it's very difficult to get them to change. Yeah, and I still have friends like that. I still have a couple mm. of friends where mm. our bonding is more about, you know, pop culture mm. or international culture and then it does make sense for us to interact in English because, you know, just talking about things that happen over the world and, and stuff yeah. like this, yes. The only English... way is Essex in German doesn't make much sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, I think yes. English has this much more bonding, you know, mm. f power to it than, than German has. It... The uh, obviously living in Germany and dealing with the system um, is definitely uh, a topic which yeah. would be interesting to discuss. Rule of thumb is that the doctors speak English, although not on a level that maybe one would expect. Because at least my German friends, they think like, yeah, all the doctors speak English. That's, you know, they have high education, so on, so on. Mm. That's not true. I mean, they do speak English, but maybe on a, a conversational level, not on like diagnosis level. Uh, but uh, the staff, like the yeah, uh, the nurses and everything, most of the time they can't speak at all. And for me, that's a bit weird. Same with the customer service. Even mm. when I flew back from my country and I had to make a COVID test, even then, uh, the person who called me could only speak German. And this doesn't make any sense, you know, because mm -hmm. those are most likely expats. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I would say yeah. that actually English level is not really good. He also didn't believe that Lithuania was a real country. That's true, yeah. He thought it's in Spain. Anyways. It is hard if you're a woman, wherever you live, even if you live in your own home city, to mm. find a good gynae, to be, you know, to be with someone that you feel comfortable with and whatever. Is gynae like slang for gynecologist? Yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's gynecologist. Is it? Is it? Is, it, is that a French thing or is no, it? No, because... it's, it's it's English. Gyne. Gyne? Yeah. I've never. Okay, fine. Okay, I it's haven't just really a, talked to many. The short of short of gynecologist. I'm just going to the gyne. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. All right. I'm going to the day. woman doctor, and finding one in Hamburg for me was just the most daunting thing because I, I think what you were talking about is that. I'm pretty convinced most doctors can speak English, but they just refuse for legal reasons also, or insurance reasons, hmm. that they can't, they're too afraid to make a false, um, what do you call it, diagnostic, not false, because they'll know what they would say in German, but if they secure the words in English, hmm. that it would be a wrong diagnostic so that they could get in trouble because of that. So I think... I don't know if it's an ethical thing. I don't know if it's legal, but I've I've had this a few times where my first gynecologist that I went to, I told her that I didn't speak very good German, and she was still like, "Aber wir probieren doch," which means mm. we're still gonna try this mm. though. <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, so I have no say in this." And then she just mm. basically gave me, and I mean, you don't have to be a man or woman to understand that if somebody's gonna talk to you about hormones on your private parts, if you're even in your own language, there mm. are words that you're going to have to look up into mm. this dictionary because you're just like, okay, what is really, where is this part of my body again? Where is it located? 
But if somebody tells it to you in German, mm-hmm. you're just like, how, what is the word again? How mm-hmm. do I spell it? How do I write it? How do I look for it on the internet? And I think that was really, really hard. But I will say this, and I can say this to you actually also at the yeah. same time. I found a very good English-speaking <laughs> gynecologist in Altona. So I'm very happy about that. Well, I also have one there, so maybe it's the same maybe one. Maybe it's the same one. But maybe it's also a bit because you already opened the door and you say that, yeah, I do speak German, maybe not very good. And then they're like, okay. And for me, it's like, sprechen Sie English. So I just ask if you speak English and that's it. I don't even give an opportunity, basically, to speak mm. German. And that's what I said. So to me, all the doctors I've been to, and I've actually been to quite a lot because I'm one of the people that like to have like yearly checkups on, I don't know, everything um so they do speak english but something like b2 level so Mm -hmm. it's just not very fluent so Mm -hmm. so that's more what i meant Mm -hmm. um nobody actually refused uh, to speak english with me it's just that i could see that they're really struggling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i was quite lucky but obviously i i it's been a while since i last went to the gynecologist um Mm -hmm. i don't think i need to go again anytime soon but um when i first moved here when my germ was um not very good um my my then girlfriend she joined me in basically all of my my uh, appointments mm. um but that kind of was one of the mo- one of the motivations for me to learn german properly because i did not want to have my hand held mm. i wanted to do this on my own i mm. wanted to be able to go and talk about you know embarrassing things um without having somebody sat next to me acting as a as a translator okay but how do you feel now because you're the one who's lived here the most and the longest i think uh my reticence to go to the doctor has got nothing to do with language it's it's just because i don't like going to the doctor but it's also a bit weird for me i don't know how it is in your countries but that basically all the doctors are in different places because in my country it's more that you have like a big building like a hospital whatever five floors and then all the specialists are in one building Mm -hmm. and wherever you need to go you go and here i all of the doctors that i saw are in completely different areas of the city and that's a bit weird and they also don't see basically my history they only know what i tell them and what they had that is that is a a big difference between the german and british systems so in germany each doctor is effectively their own business separately Um, whereas in the UK you have this one mammoth organization, the NHS, and the approach is very different. You know, the NHS will send you a message, they'll send you a letter if you need to go to the doctor for a checkup, if you need to get a smear test, if you need to get an, a vaccination, they will tell you and even send you an appointment um, un, un, unasked. Um, whereas here in the in Germany, it's it's very much you know you need to take care of your own shit. Okay, but one thing that I think is very German specific, or at least I heard many experts saying that. So, what about neighbors? How are your experiences about those complaint letters? And I've never had any complaints, but I'm someone who's so afraid of getting them that I just don't do anything to get the complaints in the first place. So if if I if I really want to listen to loud music. On the mm. evening, past 10 o'clock in the evening, I'll just put my earpods on and dance with my earphones on my head. And I know I've been told that I'm really weird and too strict to myself regarding that. Mm. But, yeah. but that's that's the point, that at least for me, it's not about actually doing something. So I, I actually had... Um, I actually changed a lot of places. So I lived in five places. And in two of those, 
I had terrible experiences. So, you know, that at least maybe shows that it's not me because, uh, you know, if I would be playing loud music, then everyone would complain. Uh, but the craziest was my basically last one. And she would complain about how, um, how loud we walk in the apartment and mm. i unfortunately have only one way of walking mm. so it's a bit difficult or for example she was complaining that our balcony door is cracking so she wrote this very very angry like letter saying you should oil your balcony door mm. and that for me this is this is insane for me so this is this was one of the reasons why i had difficulty living in in, in hamburg in germany in the, the first time around um i got a, a similar letter because I was, I had watched television uh, and the television itself wasn't loud, but my laughing mm-hmm. was loud. I was watching a funny program and mm. apparently my laughing was, was, was annoying them. The, the thing is, uh, and this is, this is the thing that uh, I kind of, li- I've turned out that I like about Germany is that no one will hold themselves back from telling you if they don't like something. <laughs> And the point is, you are perfectly willing, you're perfectly free in most cases to ignore them. So, for example, if someone tells you you're walking too loud, then, yeah, just, you know, just, it, there's nothing you can do about it. So just move on. That's, you know, that's, that's what you have to do here. However, in the UK, if you were to, you know, if, if you were to complain about something like that to someone, it would have to be so mind-numbingly horrible for them that they mm. th- before they would even think about writing that and that's why these kind of complaints hit me so hard because i still had that perspective yeah. that my behavior must have been so unacceptable to them that i must have done something so horrible and you know violated the rules in such an egregious way mm. that they would write this letter no it's just that some people just write a letter about literally anything and they don't necessarily even have the expectation that anything will change. They just want to have it out there. I mean, I think that it just... And I love my German friends and, I, and I'm so happy about this country. I don't want to say anything negative, but I'm still going to say this. <laughs> is that I think that Germans... And I, I see it also in the way sometimes that kids are brought up in Germany. Mm-hmm. And it's this self-righteousness thing that for me is the one thing that I really find hard dealing with. Mm. So if you're in a supermarket, and again, I think it's even harder for people who are British because mm. we do tend to apologize a lot about things. Or if you know that somebody's waiting behind you and you're gonna be a bit longer, you'll always be like, oh, so sorry, do you wanna go before? Or something like that. Mm. And for me, that's the only thing that really, really like grinds my Gear. Yeah. But the thing is, so it actually goes also in the other direction. So um, I apologize too much as well. And, yeah, yeah, and, and I'm, the, yeah, yeah. I'm the classic British person. I apologize for things even though I know they're and not my fault. And it can be so annoying for people who are just like, stop saying sorry all the time. It's exactly. Annoying. So yeah. I, was, I was on the bus uh, in the before times where, when you know, people were actually closer to one another. Um, and uh, somebody trod on my foot. Mm. And I instinctively said, sorry. And the guy was just, who was actually in the middle of walking. And he'd known that he'd trodden on me, but he was, he was intending just to keep on going as if nothing had happened. But after I said sorry, he just paused mm. He's, and turned around and just asked me, why? Mm-hmm. He was just confused as to mm. why I was apologizing for him. It was to him, you know, he was, he, he, know that he, he knew that he'd pissed me off. 
but it no, wasn't a big was, deal, yeah, so he was yeah, happy to yeah, just move yeah, on. Yeah, but yeah. the fact that he noticed that I needed to apologise to him just confused him and stopped him in his tracks. And I, that was one of the things that sort of was... Yeah, we do say sorry a lot, but and I completely agree that's the thing that I get, but... We say that's... sorry a lot and we don't mean it. Yeah, but that's when I get really annoyed. I remember once walking down Munkebergstrasse mm. and it was a couple of... Per- I don't know if, if there were a couple, but it was a man and a woman walking next to each other and the guy was holding a briefcase mm. and there was quite a lot of people. It was also a few years ago, so pre-COVID, mm. <laughs> pre-you have to take your distance or have distance with people. And so we walked quite close to each other and the guy literally banged his briefcase into my thigh. And it really hurt my leg. It really did. I was just like, ow. And I turned around and I was like, ow. And I turned around to see no one was there to say sorry. He yeah. was just going on with his life. And yeah. mm-hmm. that for me is still something that I can't bear. Like, and I it bothers say, you to this day. I'd rather, I'd rather say sorry too many times than just walk around, you know, yeah. walk away after hitting someone in the leg with mm. a briefcase. Yeah. <laughs> but also another rule that is kind of driving me crazy is this, that you cannot talk on the phone in buses and trains. You so can. again, I'm not... No. Often there's even like a phone that is crossed. Oh, well, in a quiet carriage, yes. No, no, no. In normal buses. So the point is that I'm not talking about those people and I also saw some people that are maybe sometimes talking a foreign language that are really loud like they're shouting basically and laughing with the full you know lungs and that may be annoying but if you're sitting with somebody and you're talking or you're talking on the phone in exactly the same volume then I don't really see a difference and uh, for me it was actually I, I don't do it I have a PTSD about it because every time I was trying to talk on the phone I would have like looks or mm-hmm. sometimes people even pointing at a sign or like rolling their eyes or something so I'm just afraid of that yeah but that's when i've become german for this because if people do that at me i just roll their my eyes back at them i'm just like well, i'm so sorry but i'm not going to apologize to talking on the phone to someone on the bus that's or the, the most train. british thing you could possibly i'm so sorry but i'm just <laughs> no. not going to change my behavior in any way shape or form <laughs> well no but i mean if if it comes to those like that's the thing like they will not take home the fact that they mm. were annoyed with this you will yeah exactly and that's yeah. what's really annoying yeah so that's the counter the medicine to it is just to act the same way and it's you have horrible, to learn to just, let go you just have to learn to let go and just be like oh well i'm not gonna have ptsd for that mm-hmm. uh i'm not going to take it home with me i'm just gonna be really annoyed be like everybody else come off the bus you know rant a little bit about it and then move on so uh even though we're already talking for quite long but one more topic that is definitely interesting for me is dating have you had any cultural differences? I'm not talking about the language now, but just generally how the how the game works. Uh, so uh, we were going to do a podcast on this back in the day, uh, but uh, we're still planning not... to having a separate one. Well, yes, no, but but this particular topic of uh, sitting down while urinating that was definitely a thing uh, in my first uh, relationship with with the first first German girlfriend. Um, the expectation was that I would always sit down while going to the toilet. Now, since then, I have learned that <laughs> it has advantages. But um, as I was growing up, it was kind of, you know, I didn't even think. It was, mm. you know, it was something which, you know, you'd, you you could stand up and go to the toilet. And uh, if you made a mess, you clean up your mess. Simple. Um, but the mere fact that I was standing standing up to go to the toilet in my own toilet, and I was cleaning the toilet myself, um, became a 
a point of conflict in that particular relationship. And um, it was just very interesting because sitting down while going to the toilet is definitely a, a distinctly German thing. Mm. And uh, has led to some some conflict. Yeah. So for me, the only thing that I have to say about this, it, it's not about ger- dating Germans in, in particular, because I... I would, you know, be very glad or happy if my future husband was German. It has nothing to do with that. I think it's more the fact of being an expat and dating abroad. I do tend to to date a lot of expats. I do tend to go for people who are from, you know, who can either speak very good English and I can bond with on a certain level or with completely different cultures. So I have a big fascination for Latin America for a few years. So, mm-hmm. and I think it's, it's, it's more this, it's more this approach of if you're an expat, wherever you come from, you are an expat, right? And then mm. you can, you already have this bonding thing. You have these right? common experiences. Exactly like us and our constellation right mm. now. So that's the only thing I would say about my, my dating approach to, to, to being an expat is, yeah, I tend to date expats as well. For me, it's also uh, completely opposite. Actually, yeah. I dated, I think, only Germans. Yes, true. You've. Yeah. I had also few relationships with Germans, uh, so no, I really don't think that I even been on a date with one expert, if I think about it. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, but what for me was very much of a cultural shock is too too strong of a word, but definitely people here have a way, way, way more easy approach to these things. Mm, so uh, the people I end up uh, being in relationships with, of course, we, we uh, matched on the expectations level. However, I feel like the sex culture is very big and like Tinder and everything and that people think five times, maybe not five, 50 times until they actually commit. Uh, so... I was never, I, for example, before Germany, I never heard of a phrase that we are exclusive, but that doesn't mean that we are a couple. For me, mm. it up to this day, for me, it doesn't make absolutely any sense uh, because, yeah, so like basically in Lithuania, again, maybe it's also now a bit of a... Um, mm, uh, not gender, what is the generation difference? I don't know, maybe, you know, I don't know, teenagers do it differently. Uh, but at least uh, in Lithuania, it's more that, you know, if you start dating somebody and that's basically you're automatically exclusive. Like mm. it's it's uh, like unwritten rule that you usually don't see a few people at once. And then if you like each other and basically the, the moment that you really state that, okay, we choose each other and we will not be dating somebody else, you're a couple, that's it. And here, you know, first you're dating, then you're dating exclusively. And no, then you're friends with benefits, whatever, then you're exclusive. Then, I don't know, there are just so many in-between stages and it was really odd to me. So, I mean, with one of my boyfriends, uh, until we became officially a couple, it's been three months. And that's actually, that was fine. I, I actually even liked it because we got to know each other quite well, but it was so long. In my country, it's usually, I don't know, a few weeks. So yeah, so that that was I think this this mm. uh, approach that and that men yeah, don't I even. Mean, I agree. I do agree with that as well. But I don't know if that's Germany or if it's just our age. And also for me, it was weird. And uh, I, I, for example, never had a one night stand. But I feel that here it's so expected. Like I, it's so weird for me where a guy directly might invites you to his place. Don't even bother to ask you out on a dinner. Like. I don't know for, for me this is completely unacceptable so maybe I'm very entitled I don't know but uh, but yeah this is this you, was you need really... to be fed first that's what you're saying yep mm-hmm. okay <laughs> so we have one final question we'd like to uh, 
explore today. And basically, I'd like to ask uh, Gabriella to start with. Um, what is your relationship with your home country like now that you have left? Mm, so I still have quite quite a close uh, bond. So in my first year here, I actually went back six times, which I think is quite often, basically every two months. Um, uh, luckily, also uh, my company offers um, the opportunity to to work uh, from another country at, at least occasionally and more and more now. This year, of course, in COVID, it was different. Unfortunately, I only managed to go there twice. Uh, but still, I mean, I'm trying to visit as as often as I can. I don't want to waste all my vacation days on that. Uh, but uh, but when I can work from there, then it's perfect. Uh, I also listen to a lot of uh, Lithuanian content. So that's actually one of the reasons even when I st why I started doing a podcast, because I listened to so many podcasts this year. Actually, now Spotify just not that long ago released uh, the stati statistics. So in uh, 2020, I listened to over 6,000 minutes of content. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's quite a lot. Um, yeah, and mostly in my native language, that somehow makes me feel connected. I'm also reading the news, um, actually subscribing to this newsletter uh, to the Baltic News Service. Um, and um, yeah, and I mean, of course, they give information on maybe a little bit more micro level than is actually relevant for me right now, but I still want to want to stay updated. So yeah, music, podcast, uh, calling my family, calling my friends, going there as much as I can. I think that, you know, in the global world, especially when both countries are in Europe and literally one and a half hour flight away, it doesn't really, it doesn't really uh, yeah, feel that, that difficult. Uh, of course, now, for example, in Christmas, uh, it's... Um, yeah, I would like to be with my family and I could have been with my family, but it was just a conscious choice not to fly during during COVID. I guess this would be a quite complicated question for you, Jess, because you actually are already a dual national to start with. Yeah, I mean, I still I still feel I mean, I still feel half English, half French, but I did grow up in France. And I think most of my like environment and, and surroundings was primarily French. So. I have this thing where I listen to French radio every morning, which is, I don't know, sometimes I love it because it makes me feel home and sometimes I hate it because I'm, I feel like I'm distancing even, you know, even more myself from the experience that I'm actually living. Mm. Um, but I try not overanalyze that and just do what makes me happy, which is listen to French radio in the morning. Mm. So I still do that. But what's particularly nice about French radio? What's the appeal? Oh, it's this loads of stuff. I think it's because when I used to drive to school in the mornings with my mum, we always had mm. the radio on. So it kind of feels reassuring. It kind of, you know, it's kind of like a little throwback to that sense mm. of security and homeliness. That, when, um, when life I, made sense. When life made sense when I was mm. about eight years old. When it was all fine. No, but... It's not, it's not, you know, it's not something that I punish myself with or it's not something that makes me particularly homesick. It's just something that, something that makes me feel closer from home. Um, and when I say home, I mean France, Toulouse, although my dad now lives in the UK and I feel very much at home when I'm with him in his house. So mm -hmm. that's the thing for me. It's, it's a very particular year. I'm very happy to not go home for Christmas, actually, and just to, to, to make the home that I've made for myself even more my home and stop calling home Toulouse or or Stratford but just where do you normally go Bandic. actually when you... I usually always go 
uh, usually go back to France because my grandmother, I still have only one grandmother and she's uh, French. So mm. I still feel like as long as she's there, I want to be home for Christmas to see her and make her, you know, make her Christmas basically. But after that, I suppose I'll do one year with my mother and one year with my father. Mm. I kind of miss that as well because I feel like we've always done Christmas with my mum since my parents are divorced. And I, I would I would also like to spend Christmas with my dad. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so my my relationship to my home country is it's an interesting one. So I did uh, in terms of you know media consumption, um, I would argue it's kind of like sixty forty. So sixty percent uh, English British, mm. um, well, I suppose English British and American, um, and then forty percent German. Um, but mostly that's because. I spend more time watching British news compared to German news because German news is just easier. Mm. German Germany is is less complicated. Um, you can watch the Tagesschau, the regular, uh, the eight pm news bulletin, and in fifteen minutes you can basically find out everything important that's happened that day, and that's it. Mm. Whereas in the UK it's so complicated. There are so many different, you know, with, with the Brexit negotiations going on. Um, and Corona, and uh, even sort of things like Scottish independence, um, all topics that I find very interesting, it takes a lot longer for me to actually consume that content. It doesn't necessarily mean that I am excluding myself from the German content. It's just, it's just easier. Mm. It's just bite-sized. It's, you know, it's easier to, to, to consume. Um, although I have to say in terms of entertainment... Um, I'm very much more uh, English language. I don't really uh, watch much German comedy. Mm. Um, although I have recently started uh, watching um, sort of some, or even rewatching some sort of German classic comedies, like things like uh, Schuldes Manitous or Traumfrisch Surprise. So basically, these are German. You have no, I have it's no okay. idea what so that is. It, it was a. Um, I'm a, not there yet, apparently. A German sketch co- sketch show called Bully Parada, and they did a number of uh, films, and and they actually are. You know, they're not they're not bad. They're they're actually quite good. Um, but I, you know, obviously, you know, Germany is relative in size to the US and the UK. It, there's just much less content out there, um, and much less great content, and there's obviously. Um, a lot of you know really good English language content that I really just enjoy watching and prefer to watch um, one thing I do try to avoid however is dubbed content mm. I, dubbed exactly yeah, like that's that, very yeah. very yeah. popular here somehow yes indeed but actually uh, one thing that also came uh, came to mind uh, about the relationship since I also I'm here uh, for the for the shortest time uh, out of the three of us uh, so I'm actually even thinking that maybe my my relationship to my home country was a little bit too close uh, because at least in the first year, as I said, when I was going there every two months, basically, I, I also have very strong friendships where we would be talking on daily basis, either via voice messages or on the phone or something. So for the longest while, I actually didn't really feel a need to make a social circle here because I would go to work, I would interact with my co-workers and then I would either spend time with my at that time boyfriend, whichever that was, <laughs> or, or, or yeah, or interact with my Lithuanian friends. And now I'm actually kind of consciously limiting the um, 
contact a little bit because uh, of course also COVID did it for me uh, but um, just to be a little bit more here and now and accept the reality that okay now this is my country at least for for some time i don't know how long i will stay but at least a few more years for sure mm. and that i should start you know feeling home here and making connections here and not to just cling on the somehow past so i'm not saying that i'm not going to be friends anymore with my friends but maybe not talking every every day and then not having time for the connections here and i think it's also just knowing that and accepting and it takes a lot of time it only took me until i think this year because i really took the time well i was given the time to think about it that your relationship won't be the same with the people that you love from home either it will always mm. be something that you go home to and and it will always be lovely and it will always be special but it won't be the same anymore you can't you can't have the it's very basic, but you just can't have it all. You can't have a fulfilling life abroad and, you know, feel the same connection that you feel with, with all your friends back home yeah. because you're not part of it every day. It doesn't make it less special. It doesn't mean you have to break bonds with people. But, you know, I think at one stage it's good to just let go of that mm. pressure for yourself of, you know, having to be in two spaces, basically. Yeah. Although, is that is that uh, an issue which is peculiar to uh, expats or is that just simply a factor of leaving the city with which you've grown up yeah of course i think it's just of course it's growing up and letting go and and so on mm. but of course if you take the extra step of going to live in a foreign country and you you know that i mean most expats i think i talked about it with with uh, my shrink um i think she said something like 80 percent of expats actually leave for a reason mm. without even knowing it necessarily yeah, but that yeah. there's always something behind it so and I think it's fair and I think it's fine and and, I, and it doesn't mean that and I carried a long time the guilt as I said of feeling happy in a space far away from the people that I love mm. um, and today I've just accepted I mean not today today but recently that I still love the people that I love far away but I don't want to feel guilty anymore from being okay without them basically yeah <laughs> and um, the guilt is also a very big part for me um, although for me it's not really that I feel guilty by myself. I think I felt more guilty because I was actually heavily guilt-tripped by um, certain, especially family members. Uh, and also I, I had maybe a, a little bit of a similar situation as, as Jessica, you described with the grandmother. So I also only had one grandmother uh, left with whom I was very, very close. And by now she actually passed away uh, during COVID. So I didn't uh, attend the funeral and so on. So this is like the darker side of the the recent events not that there's a bright side but still mm. um but yeah but i think that was uh, somehow particularly painful for me that kind of the clock is ticking that person doesn't have that much you know to live anymore and i'm somewhere abroad and uh, for now you know luckily my my like family members are, are healthy and everything but i think if somebody would get sick i might be in the same guilt cycle again that you are just yeah, you just feel guilty that you're not there. And that's, mm. I think, a lot to accept for a lot of people, that you kind of have to choose you and your career, your whatever goals that you decide are important for you. Yeah. Thank you, Jessica, for joining us and for this wonderful chat. Thank also, you for having me. Of course. And mm. thank you, Gabriella, for once again being my co-host. Yep. And, um... <laughs> yep. <laughs> so... So yeah, uh, since we're planning to release this um, at uh, at Christmas time, Merry Christmas! 
Merry Christmas, everybody. And a happy new year, because let's face it, next year has got to be better than this one. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.